I'm Aria Schwartz along with Rachel Galligan and welcome to the Windsider Show where it's all about the W. Our guest this episode needs no introduction, but you give one to the GOAT out of respect. The number one draft pick, the rookie of the year, four-time WNBA champion, finals MVP, eight-time All-Star, three-time gold medalist, the one, the only, Simone Augustus. like our show please consider joining our patreon community patreon.com backslash windsider for less than a cup of coffee a month you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the w and don't forget to see our staff's amazing written content over windsider.com and while you're there you can check out our overseas tracker which is live so you can check where your favorite WNBA players are playing overseas all in one it is my great honor to welcome the great simone augustus to the show simone how are you doing i'm doing great how about yourself you know what? It's DC right now is in the 70s and it's November, so I can't complain. Oh, I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> so talk to us. I mean, you're you're fresh out the bubble. How you doing? How's your body feeling? How is it to finally be able to see some family and some friendly faces uh, and say hi to your pets? I mean, it feels good. To be honest, I'll be lying if it wasn't a little bit of a shock when you left the bubble because you got into a routine, a regiment of like being around certain people and getting tested every day and so on and so forth. And then when you leave the bubble, it's like, oh, you back out, you know, with everyone else and you don't mm-hmm. know who's been tested, like how safe certain places are. So you kind of fear, you know, actually getting back out into the world. But you know, once I got home, um, you know, it was safe. I was back with my animals. Shrek, Shrek is doing his thing in the back. Doc, Jesse, Tiger Bear, um, moms and pops, uh, still in that same, you know, routine, like, you know, around the house, just making sure everything is straight and making sure we're safe around here. So um, once I got back in my comfort zone, I was good. Have you been getting a ton of voiceover gigs after that WNBA commercial? Not really a lot of podcasts, like a lot of people want to talk to me now. So um, I have to speak up a little bit more. Like I haven't been as vocal um, in previous years as I am now. So uh, opportunities are coming. I mean, I just have to say that you did a phenomenal job with that commercial. And I think every WNBA fan can recite the entire thing by heart with as much as they played it. So that was that that was a really cool thing. But Simone, we're we're so happy to have you here on the show. Um, I want to we obviously know a ton about your professional career. We could, we'll get into the WNBA a little bit, but um, I want to talk a little bit about deeper into your story. Um, Kind of take us through at what point did you fall in love with the game of basketball? Who have been some of your biggest influence influencers throughout your career and how was kind of the beginning part of your journey? The beginning part was like, I guess any other, other kid. Um, I was about five or six years old. When my dad introduced me to the game after trying many sports, um, from soccer to tennis to volleyball to golf, I mean, you name it, I probably tried it. And it was just something about basketball that I just had a, a knack for it. I could I can dribble right away. It was easy for me to do that. It was easy for me to shoot the ball. Um, I was motivated and wanted to do it. And so um, I remember, like I said, the first day that I decided that basketball was my thing was uh, my dad said, do you want to be good or you want to be great? And I was like, I want to be great. 
And he said, well, we got some work to do. And from that day forward, we got out in the yard. Um, we didn't have much. At that time, he had, you know, put together a little basketball goal with some two by four and some plywood wow. or whatever he had around the house and found a rim somewhere and nailed it to to the rim, uh, nailed it to the basket. I had a gravel court. So you know how hard it is to like run or ride a bike on gravel. So imagine trying mm-hmm. to like, dribble the ball and do things like that on gravel. We try everything. He used anything that was available to him to try to help me hone in on my skills and get better. And he was a, a I said he's like a, a mad scientist or a genius with the way that he um, got me to do like conditioning and stuff like that. So I always enjoyed being my father. And he we were going bike rides. But little did I know these bike rides ended up being 15, 20 miles to the state <laughs> capital from where we lived. And when, when we got to the capital, there was a hill. Um, at the top of, there's a hill around the Capitol and he would just be like, hit the hill and go. And without having to stop, like just paddle as hard as you can to see if you can get to the top of the hill without having to stop and getting off the bike. And that was like the intro to like conditioning. And then we would bike 20 miles back to get home. And so it was just little things like that, that kept me going. And then once I got into like the competitive side where I was playing against mostly boys at the time, just to see like how they would look when a girl like did something to them, made a shot on them or crossed them over and how they friends would tease them and stuff like that. Really? Like I got thrills out of that because as we all know, women are supposed to be able to do things better than men. So that was the one thing that I could actually like get out there and feel a little bit superior than a man at a time, uh, you know, a young man at a time uh, being able to play, um, you know, basketball at that well at a young age. I'm curious, you know, we hear nowadays, I think there's a story of Rachel even playing against like uh, Ali Quigley in AAU and Renee Montgomery playing with some like other famous players. Was there anybody that like you had run into in your youth who, you know, flourished in a basketball career? In my youth, um, I had a few players that are from Louisiana, like Ronika, Donika Hodges, uh, Tamika Johnson. We all played against each other when we were younger. But I guess the biggest name that I played against in my youth was Diana Taurasi. Her uh, Southern California team came down to a tournament in New Orleans. We were about mm, 12. Well, I was about 10 or 12. They were a lot older than me. And we played in the game. And Diana at that time was wearing a long ponytail. She didn't have the bun like she has now. (laughs) And so she would just fly up and down the court, swinging this ponytail, blowing past you, you know, shooting threes from all over the court. And she talked a little trash back then. So I remember they ran this uh, baseline out of bounds play where they lined up on one side of the baseline and they had one player at the uh, free throw line. And so on, they was like, on three. And they went one, two, three. And everybody just bent down to the floor. And we all bent down, too. And the person that was still standing was the young lady at the free throw line. They threw it to her. She shot it, made the free throw. I mean, made the basket. And then they ran back, like, laughing. And so that's the memory that I have, like, getting shown up by by Diane Taraski at a young age, like, learning a lesson quickly. I feel like we lost by, like, 70 that game. But uh, after the game, she came over to my, my moms and my, my moms and pops. And was like, can we take her back to Southern California? Like they were getting ready to go to nationals. And my team had no way of making it to nationals. So at that time, you know, you could change teams if your team wasn't going to make it. So she asked. My dad was like, no way. Like I'm her only child. They wouldn't let me leave Louisiana and go to Southern California for a month, like without them, you know. 
No way. Well, I think you've gotten a, a few uh, a few things on her over your WNBA career when you've uh, maybe gotten a couple more rings than her. Maybe maybe won some WNBA playoff games. So I'd say it's a little bit even. Um, <laughs> but talk to us about the evolution of your career. How has your game grown over the years? Because I know when you were in Minnesota, Cheryl Reeve used to talk about basically every season she would request from you, you know, focus on defense this year. I want you to focus on your three point this year. I want you to focus on this. Heck, this past season was the first time I can recall seeing you play the four. I mean, talk to your talk to me about your growth of your game over your career. Yeah, evolution from like rookie year from like 2006 to 2010 was just mainly like scoring, trying to get as many buckets as I can to help my team stay in a position mm-hmm. to win. As you know, the links weren't that good at the time. We would win 10 games a season, you know, during that time when uh, Coach Reeve came in and what, 10? Going into 11, that was what she asked, what you said before. She was like, I need you to play some defense. I need you to be able to take on that challenge to go on other team's best player and, and so on and so forth. And I took that to heart because I knew the team that we had and I knew what was needed in order for us to win. And so I just really got after it on that end. It, I was kind of bummed because, you know, my goal was to try to make a defensive team at some point, like, First team, second team didn't matter. Third team, I didn't care. I just wanted to like compete that hard that I actually got a look for that. But mm-hmm. the evolution of like, you know, me as a player and understanding the game, you know, it just it took some time. It took being around great players to understand, you know, what you were good at and how you were able to how you were going to be effective on the floor to help your teammates you know, get the shots that they were looking for to help you be in a better position to be more efficient with your scoring opportunities. So, um, and that's credit to, like I said, my teammates, Coach Reeve, and everyone who kind of challenged me during that time. Now, the four position this year was way, way out of what I've I've been doing, but it was something that the game is evolving to that. As you see players like Stewie, a Natasha Howard, a Asia Wilson, like players that are stepping away from the basket more and using their size and quickness a little bit against slower players um, at their position, I was able to kind of take advantage of that. Though I'm not as big, I have guard-like abilities where I can draw those bigs away from the basket and maybe create opportunities for, you know, players inside to get one-on-one opportunities or use my quickness to get by or get my three-point three-point shot off to stretch the floor a little bit. So that was kind of cool to see that evolution of in my game as I didn't expect it. You know, I didn't expect to play the four, but it, it just kind of happened that way. Simone, we all talk about it. The talking heads love talking about your game. And, and I kind of feel like what you might say, but I want to hear it from your mouth. What is, in your opinion, the greatest strength in your basketball game? I know people always say my crossover and stuff like that, but I really think it's my mid-range, my mid-range game. It's very hard for people um, to defend that. Like it's a, it's a fading art form. Like no one really shoots. Yeah, it's no one does it anymore. Yeah, no one shoots jumpers anymore. It's either threes or layups, and so being able to have that 15, 17 foot jumper really opens up an opportunity for me to create a drive to the basket or. Um, in previous conversation, you said, you know, Coach Reeve focused on me being able to knock down a three, being able to just get a get a three and, and knock that down, open up the opportunity for me to really get to what I wanted to get to, which is a jumper. Um, and that's where I felt like, you know, in our glory days in the dynasty time, me and Maya would just fly off of pin downs and shoot jumpers. And no one knew how to guard it because it's very difficult in that in that playing area. Like, how do you guard them? You don't want to f- force them to the basket. You don't want to get too far stretched away from the, the the basket as far as defensively, depending on what your defensive schemes are. So 
you kind of at my mercy. And so that's what I've always um, prided myself on being efficient in those areas that I know um, are my bread and butter areas. Yeah, we, we spoke to uh, Candace Dupree about that in a film room session. We, we've been doing film room sessions where we bring players on and look at film of their own game and kind of talk to them about what they've seen. And she was talking similar to you about it being a dying art. And she was like, me and Simone are kind of <laughs> like the flag bearers for this. This is what we do. Yeah. Um, but you, you kind of touched on this, the, men, the mental aspect of being a champion. And I'm curious for you, you know, mentally, how tough was it to to hear that from your coach or your teammates saying, this is what we need you to do. I know you can do this amazing, but we need you to do something different for us to be a champion. I think that's a great message that a lot of younger players and heck, even players in this league now can learn from. Because I think one of the great aspects of the Lynx during the dynasty years was the selflessness of the players, at least from the outside. Maybe maybe you'll say something different, but you you all were so focused on being a team and getting and completing that final goal. So talk to me about the mentality of being a championship champion. Yeah, no, nah, what you saw and what you felt was real as far as like the selfish selfishness of, of that team. Like we gave of ourselves in ways that we probably haven't given of ourselves at any other point in our career. And it's partly because you look around the room and you see what you have. And, you know, we've seen great teams be put together and it never really works out. Um, you know, at that point in my career, I hadn't won anything. I hadn't even been to the playoffs. And so if you're telling me that all I got to do is play some defense and then when my time comes, knock down my shots and stuff like that, we can possibly win a championship. Why wouldn't I do it? I was, mm-hmm. you know, most most uh, teams or players downfall is, you know, you kind of let people get in your head like what a star is, who is a superstar and what are you supposed to be doing and this, that, that. We care nothing about that. No one care who got the credit, who was on the posters, who did ESPN talk about. We did what we needed to do or what we were asked to do as a team, as a unit, to get it done. And quite frankly, we were all very hungry. I had never been to the playoffs. Maya lost her senior year in college, uh, didn't win an NCAA championship. Waylon hadn't been to the playoffs since her early years in Connecticut. And Bronson hadn't been since her early years in in Sacramento. So we're all hungry. And we're ready to make the necessary changes that we needed to make as players to make this thing work because we could be having a different conversation right now on this podcast had we not decided to sacrifice of ourselves for the greater good of the team and to see what we could do uh, as a unit, you know? Simone, as, as a young, say a young girl growing up, you know, who, who is striving to be a star, in not even just basketball, you know, in any game, what advice would you give her in terms of that exact topic of, it not being about you, it's about the team. Um, it's about buying into what your coaches are saying and truly trusting what they're saying. That's a, that's a struggle, you know, and, and, and I think at times it can become even more of a struggle with just the way our world is today. But what advice would you give um, a, a, young, a young player who's trying to be great and trying to accept whatever role that might be? Yeah, I say strive, like work really hard every day. Hone in on your skills. Like we're all good at something. Like when I first picked up the ball, I was good at at shooting right away and ball handling wasn't my thing. So whatever your strengths are, yeah, keep working on those and make those better. Whatever your weaknesses are, they need to get stronger. So that's the first little bit because a lot of lot of kids now when I go out and I talk to different different schools, like they don't want to go in the gym, they want to hang with their friends. My friends play ball and even even though they didn't make it professionally or even play high school ball, they enjoy being outside and getting that work in with me. So surround yourself with that with like-minded people that are going to help you 
accomplish the goals that you want to accomplish. As a teammate and as a player that's trying to learn, you have to be coachable. I don't, every coach I've had hasn't been the greatest coach, but you have to be willing to take on um, what, receive what they're trying to tell you. Take the good from whatever it is that you, that they're trying to tell you and use that to get better because even the worst coach can tell you something like, I think you should go hard on D. Well, maybe, you know, maybe you should take that into consideration, even if the coach isn't that well, even if the coach isn't that good. But if you're talking about great coaches like I've had throughout my career, professional career, then it's a no brainer that in order for you to get where you want to go, you might want to listen to the advice they're trying to tell you. And a lot of times people get caught up into like, the parents, your friends, and everybody like, man, you should be scoring 20 a game. You should be doing this and you should be doing that. No, you need to focus on what you should be doing because when coaches come into the to the um, the gymnasiums to watch players play, now at this point, they're not looking to to who's scoring all the points. I think Gino said himself, he's, he's like, I find the hardest worker. And that might not be the player that's the best player on that team. I find the hardest worker, mm-hmm. the one that's going to dive on the floor, the one that's going to bring energy, even if she don't touch the ball, two or three or four possessions. She, her, her body language is the same. You never see her shoulder slump. That's the player I want on my team because I can shape and mold her into what I need her to be on in my program, in my system. The GOAT has spoken. Just go ahead and the mic now. No, I love it. I love it. And honestly, I already take a mental note. We got we got to cut out that snippet right there for this next generation and get that out because that's a phenomenal message. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, let's move forward. I want to talk about just the WNBA in particular. We aren't quite there yet, but we're coming in on about 25 years, um, scratching the surface on it. Still a baby in my mind, but you know, from your time, your, your beginnings of the WNBA to where you're at now, how have you seen the league change? You kind of talked on the evolution of just gameplay, but also just marketing strategies or, or just, the, just the evolution of the entire league. What are some things you've seen? Uh, what, where do you think it needs to go? What's your opinion on that? Um, yeah, it's been a lot of evolution. And then we had a little setback when the re- uh, recession hit as far as, um, you know, marketing and what we were able to do as far as budget. But we've now gotten back to, um, you know, putting the players at the forefront, like transparency with the league between the league and its players as far as collaborative efforts on where we see or where they think the league should be and where we think the league should be going. Um, those conversations have gotten better. Um, as you can see, like the the fact that you know, they putting Stewie out there more. They putting Birdie, um, you know, players that they kind of celebrating the the younger generation and the older generation all at once because that's kind of what the league is gravitating to. Like you got a, a nice mixture of vet and younger players. But even internationally, it was hard for us in the early years to kind of gain gain some of those players from overseas. They never they never knew why they should come over here and not have their summers off. Now you see more girls fighting to get into the league because of um, the way that they're marketing the players, the, the the game, the game changes as far as the evolution and the players and how we're playing the game, picking up, um, you know, people embracing the WNBA a lot more, even the, the from the NBA players, every outside sources, corporate America is starting to pick up their, their focus or attention on, on the WNBA, which is a, which is a great thing. Um, you know, moving forward, I think it needs to be more of the same. You know, I was kind of sad to see when you think about the efforts that were put in, like just say 97, 98, I, I was just joking with somebody. I was like, you know, Whitney Houston sung at the all-star game, right. like mm-hmm. Whitney Houston 
Some like the All Star Game. Yeah. So it's like we got to get back to those days. Like what was going on during those times? That you know the marketing strategy, getting people in. Like what do we need? Like you know what do we need to do to get a Beyonce to sing at the next at the next All Star Game or right. have someone sitting courtside? You know what I mean? Like and pubbing and promoing like. Is it surrounding like all star game activities, like having more celebs that it was nice to see Kobe, rest in peace, Kobe, Kobe and Gigi at the game the in, in, in Vegas. But, you know, we need more. And I don't know if that's that's on the league on us, like, but we got to continue to have the conversations to, to help move the league forward in that in that aspect as far as um, continuing to get the eyes on us and a lot of it could be what i know we're going to like transition into merchandise that, mm-hmm. that that isn't available that's like free advertisement to have visual merchandise walking around yes. that's a conversation piece i don't know how many times we've walked in the uh into an airport the day that we were allowed to wear sweats and people like, oh y'all play ball like yeah what team oh minnesota oh, okay Minnesota, and then we go through the whole transition of like, yeah, Minnesota has a WNBA team. We're that team, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, I'm going to catch a game. Just like that, the apparel that we had on gained us two two more people or a few more eyes on the game that we're, you know, about to play. Those, those were, you know, six eyes that, that weren't on the game, you know, previously. So now, um, you know, we just got to get to that. Like, I don't know why it's not happening, but um, – you know, the merchandising part could definitely help, help in some in some place, or shape or form. Winsider is your one-stop shop for all your WNBA news and conversations, but we can't do it without your help. Become a subscriber at patreon.com backslash Winsider for just a few dollars a month. You can help grow the game. Well, it's amazing because, like, like shout, shout out to Jasmine Baker, shout out to REA, who's done done a couple things. I mean, we, we started to create a little bit of just our own um, off-track WNBA mar- merchandise, and when we mm-hmm. put it out there, people lose their minds. They love it, everyone. There's such a, a demand for it in our community. And like you said, I mean, that's it, it, to me, it's a no-brainer, so I'm with you on that one. But before we get into the merch, I know we're going to talk about that here down the road. I want to talk you, – you mentioned younger players in the league – um, I want to talk to you about just this next generation. Um, who are some of the players that kind of impress you the most so far, whether it might be first or second year rookies? Um, I mean, obviously, Arike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to get Arike. Come on now. Uh, Kennedy Carter, Sabrina, um, before she got hurt, like the numbers that she was putting up, the things that she was doing, like New York is going to be scary in a few more years if they're able to keep the core group together and add some pieces. Uh, Satu, um, even uh, Azaree Stevens was coming around this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of scary to see some of the, the Nafisa. I'm leaving out. Let me not forget about Nafisa and. Don't forget about your girl. Yeah, Nafisa. <laughs> I call a little baby uh, Dane Phil, rookie of the year this year. Like, I mean, it's it's great to see the melting pot of players, um, of young players that's going to lead this, take the torch and, and take this league to new heights. And I think it's going to definitely be exciting to see these different matchups and battles between these these players in the coming years, man. Oh, it's going to be crazy. And a, and a lot of electric scoring. I have to ask you, this is where the tough questions come in. You've won four rings. You helped build the dynasty. Looking back at those championships, which one was kind of, I don't want to say the hardest, but which one was the one that like, when you think back to your, your favorite year of those four, which was the one? 
Well, you say you didn't want to say the hardest. So I well. the first one was the easiest, but it was the, I we definitely had the most fun in 2011. We didn't have a bullseye on our back. We were just having fun. People actually thought like we would hit, hit a, um, a slump at like the midway season, because that's what we always did. Whenever we got on the roll, we would always hit a losing streak and then we're out of the playoffs. Um, but 11 was just a roller coaster. Like we just enjoyed that ride all the way to the end. We, it didn't even feel hard. Like we were playing hard, but it didn't feel hard because we were just having fun. Now, 17 was different. It was definitely hard. That was hard, especially coming off like the emotional roller coaster of 16. Like you're three seconds away from, you know, winning a back to back. And the disappointment in that and just trying to gear you, get yourself together, gearing yourself up, but also understanding that we are all older than we were when we started in 2010, 11 on this journey. So, you know, having to get your mind and your body together to go out and compete in a five game series against the Sparks, who was definitely giving us everything they had and then some, you know, but it it worked out for us. V- viewership was high. Like people still talk about that playoff series to this day. Like they just go back and watch it casually with their friends on a weekend. Like, yo, we should watch that 16, 17 Sparks, Sparks, Minnesota series. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm definitely happy to be a part of it. And I really and truly wish that people understood more, like get the inside details of like the game, the strategy, the schemes. You know, it was like a chess game out there. You could kind of, if you if if they could have like put a camera on Cheryl and Brian, like you could see they had a few plays that they didn't know, like, you know, they slipped one in like a quick little play and they'll like smirk at each other. Like, ah, oh, you got me. I'm going to hit you with this play. You know, like all of that, like it wasn't just the whole, like putting the ball in the basket. It was everything. Like we knew each other, like the back of our hand. And it was just a great experience to be a part of, but it was hard as hell. I, I like that that you mentioned the fun versus like the hardness of it, because for me as as a viewer, the first couple ones, or at least the first one itself did look so much like you guys were just having fun. You were just balling out there. And and as you guys kind of grew in that dynasty, yes, the the the, the bullseye was on your back, but it looked more so that you guys kind of buckled down and said, we need like we're going to legitimize everything people saying about us. We are that team. We are the best. And it was so business-like. The, the way you guys came in so focused throughout that dynasty uh, was truly amazing. But speaking of, and and by the way, I completely agree with you. There needs to be more in-depth you know, learning of the chess match that goes on in those championship games. Because look, if if we, we would be lying to ourselves to not talk about the fact that you guys put the WNBA on the map in a big way with those two series and throughout, honestly, the, the regular season games too. Like when you guys played the Sparks, <laughs> those were not only high ratings, those were just like games where you walk out, you finish the game and you don't have any nails because you were biting them the whole game mm-hmm. where you've pulled out all your hair, you've sweat like a pound of water because <laughs> it was that intense. Sorry to get a little, a little bit too detailed. I would be Oh my God. But I want to talk to you about something that I've heard rumors about, but no one has ever officially confirmed. So you being on the Minnesota Lynx for those championships, I heard a rumor that the great one, the purple one, Prince, invited the 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 the, the Lynx to a party after the championship. Is that true? Did you go and and can you tell us a little bit about it if you did? Yeah, I did. Bless me. 
One second. Yeah, I did. Um, Actually, at the time, Roger Griffin, our um, GM at the time, he just came in casually and was like, yeah, we got invited to um, Paisley Park and Prince is going to do a, um, you know, a live concert for us. Just like that. It, you know, <laughs> just like that. And we were all like, yeah, you know, cheering. The- what? Paisley Park. <laughs> Everybody like, drop everything, put your clothes on, let's go. <laughs> you know, we get on the bus. We had about 15, 20 minutes. We got on the bus. Um, you know, they told us we couldn't take any phones, all that in there. And we get in there. He's already got the music playing, the band set up. He has like this nice little uh, display in the back, like, congratulations, Minnesota Lynx, da, da, da. And then he started to play like all of his hits, like all of his hits in there. And we were just like, I mean, we were in there until like three in the morning. Like just listening to music. So from the time I don't know what time the game ended till like three in the morning that we were just there. And then after that, he was like the coolest because he was like riding around on his bike after he finished the concert. He just hopped on a bike and started just riding around Paisley Park on his bike, popping willies and doing tricks on his bike. And that was like the craziest thing ever to think that like it's Prince, <laughs> like Prince, right. it's Prince. It's Prince. Like, we're sitting here watching Prince pop willies on a bike. Like, he just gave us a live concert. Like, we, the, I don't even know. You can't even wrap your mind around the idea of that. Like, we were just, it was just us. Like, no one else, just us, just for us. And the fact that he was even at our game that night, That's like, crazy. that was crazy. That was crazy. That's, I mean, I, like, I can't imagine that you're just sitting there because we can talk about, like, other professional athletes celebrating their championships, but that's got to be up there as one of the most ridiculous, crazy, amazing experiences ever. I mean, who who else can say, granted, no other Minnesota teams win championships, so Prince <laughs> couldn't bring them over, but who else can say that, like, they had a private Prince concert after winning, like, that? that's just the ultimate, that's, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, well, I want to, I want to hit you with, this is the real tough question, I apologize, but I feel like we wouldn't be doing our job if I didn't ask. I know you've stated that you're going to take some time and let your body decide if you're going to play this year, but I got to ask a twofold kind of on that topic. If you do play, you know, assuming God willing, because everyone wants to see you play more, mm-hmm. what what would you be looking for, you know, in a team? And then I, I, as my, my family heard I was doing a podcast with you and they started blowing up my phone asking this, would there, is there a possibility of a door being open that you come back to Minnesota, get that fifth ring, the fairy tale ending, and then you turn to Rebecca Brunson and say, Hey, we're tied with five titles. <laughs> um, you know what? I don't know. I mean, I, it's open for me at this point. Um, I'm just looking for an opportunity. It ain't even about playing time and all this kind of stuff. It's just like, you want to actually go out. Like I do want to hoop. I want to be able to add something to the team. I want to be able to give my knowledge or every, whatever it is to the younger players. That's probably going to play more minutes than I am. Um, But just like a a smooth transition. Like I literally want to be able to have a good time um, on my way out and just give Every last bit of basketball. I don't want to be one of those basketball players like woulda, shoulda, coulda, you know, man, I had one more left, you know, that type of like, I just want to get it out, you know, get it out of my system so I can transition on to to life after basketball. As far as the Minnesota, you know, I don't know. I'm not saying it's not possible. Anything is possible. Um, Conversations, we'll see as conversations begin if if that's a possibility. But we have to see when free agency comes around. 
I mean, mm. I think I speak for pretty much everyone in the country that, yes, there's a hell of a lot more left in you after what I saw with the Sparks this year. Um, there were moments you were career, <laughs> career high three point percentage, just saying. taking over games and, and like literally that, that spark that they needed, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> selfishly, selfishly, we're excited to see what that future holds, but okay. We talked, we talked a little bit about merchandise earlier on. Um, I've heard you've got some stuff coming out. I've heard you got some merchandise things, pieces that you're working with. Um, tell us about that. What's your vision for that? Um, how can we help you with that? Yeah. Well, if you could talk to the league about licensing, that would be great. <laughs> um, yeah, um, it, it's just been a process. Obviously, as an entrepreneur, you you go through different things. So I'm learning the ropes. I've been playing basketball for the last 15 years professionally. So yeah, jumping into the fashion game, I've been trying to like learn as much as I uh, as I can, like trying to take on internships to kind of get an idea of how things work, you know, from manufacturing to distribution and so on and so forth. Um, but I just had this idea, like I watch Twitter and I watch the different threads and I see the fans on there arguing and going back and forth all the time about where they can get some gear. And I never knew, like as a player, we don't have to have those struggles. We ask the manager for some gear and they give it to us. And so it just prompted me to go on WNBA store and some other outlets to see what was available. And to my surprise, I was so like disheartened. Like I was so hurt. I was like, this is what's available. And so I understood the gripe and, and the frustration from our fans. And I just got in this chat and started talking a little bit. And they just, they were like, man, it's so frustrating. It's so hard to be a WNBA fan. We want to wear gear, but the gear that they have for us isn't cool, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, well, let me come up with some ideas and see what I can do. So I started thinking of like different items that I could put out and I kind of put it out to my some of my uh, fans on my social media and they were like, oh my God, we need that shirt. We need that hat. We need this jacket. So I was like, all right, cool. Well, maybe I'm on the right path with this. So I've been working with the league as far as trying to figure out licensing um, because they really don't offer licenses to start up or small businesses. So it's hard to kind of get in. So they're trying to figure out a, a creative way to allow me to be able to to kind of get in there, maybe do a small a few small releases of some products that I've created and see how it goes. And most of it is just going to be kind of like researching and researching the market to see what, what all the fans will like. Um, but the, the, the biggest comment or the most hurtful comment I got or that brought insight to how or why I should keep pushing forward was a fan reached out and was like, man, could you imagine not being able to get like a Michael Jordan Jersey or apparel, anything during his prime mm -hmm. or his time? It, you know, he was like, that's what we face every day being a WNBA fan. Like, we can't find gear of our favorite players or um, our favorite teams or whatever. Like, even when we were in the Minnesota phases, like the dynasty and we were winning, you couldn't find gear in Minnesota. Not in the airport, at the sports um, at the sports uh, place in the, in the airport. They had one store, I think, Fan HQ, had a few items, but mostly T-shirts. But, like, mm -hmm. real, like, this say, like, bomber jackets, sweatpants, and, you know, stuff that or shorts or jerseys. Like, no. You can't just go to Foot Locker, Dick Sporting Good or somewhere like that and just pull it off the rack. And I just feel like it's time. It's necessary, first of all. It's, it's absolutely necessary um, to start planting that seed to for – young girls and young boys to be empowered by strong females that are actually accomplishing the same things as men are doing on a day-to-day -day basis that, that often get overlooked. So 
um, that's my motivation behind creating this this line and hopefully dropping something in 2021. Um, fingers crossed if if conversations with the league get a little bit better. Well, anything we can do, you let us know. It, and, and I completely agree with you. I mean, I search my thing, not to give away my secrets. I just go on eBay because that like back in the day, you can find a lot of throwback WNBA oh, yeah. stuff mm-hmm. where the, the jersey's a little bit more intricate, like the old green or white Lynx jerseys oh, where it actually said Lynx on it are fire. I got I have a little Hall of Fame wall that I uh, I might have one of your green jerseys hanging up in next to a uh, Charlotte Sting jersey and a Comets jersey. But I mean, I remember I one time at a game ran into, I think it was Rebecca Brunson's mom or or some relative who was complaining that she had trouble getting a jersey. And I'm like, <laughs> if, if a family member is having trouble getting a jersey, I don't even know. Like, I, I have no chance. Um, so we're going to hit you before we wrap up this episode. We're so thankful for all your time. A few rapid fire questions, whatever comes to your mind. We say rapid fire, but if you need to take a second to think about it, no one's no one's going to be upset. First question are you superstitious and what's a game day superstition that you have if you do? Yes, I am. And I have to eat the same meal every game. Ooh, what is that meal? When I was in mini, it was noodles and company, pesto capitapi, add chicken and shrimp with a, um, with a peach Izzy and a rice krispie treat. I love it. It's so, it's like so detailed and I can see you like going up there now on the iPad and like typing it all in. I love it. <laughs> Completely memorized. That's how much she's done it. That's amazing. Okay. <laughs> Toughest player you have gone against throughout your entire career. It's gotta be Diana or Cappy. Ooh. Okay. All right. This is not a rapid fire, but whatever. What is one of the craziest quick overseas stories you have for us? Craziest quick overseas Ooh, um, man. Yeah, I'm going to have to think on this one for a second. Uh, We can come back to it. Yeah, we'll come back to that one, yeah. You're known for your mean crossover, but is there like a specific play in your career? I was really impressed that you were able to recount a high school play against Diana Taurasi. Is there a specific play of your professional career, WNBA, overseas, that is kind of like etched into your mind that you feel like you will never forget? Um, I'm hitting you with the hard ones. I'm yeah, sorry. I know. Ashton, my not rapid fire. Sorry. <laughs> um, I had one against Phoenix, a crossover against Phoenix, uh, to end the half, and I forget what player it was against, but it was like at the free throw line, and I rocked her like tw- I rocked her once, like kind of like the AI Jordan situation. I rocked her like once, <laughs> uh, see if she bit, and then I rocked her again and went past her and laid it up and ended the half on uh on a layup so yeah i like i like that it's against phoenix uh you guys had the minnesota Lynx back in the day had a great great i don't know if you'd call it a rivalry but it was basically like phoenix and you guys would play in the semifinals and we kind of knew you got whoever won that game would be the favorites uh so it was always enjoyable i know you're a big family person so i'm curious what is your favorite home-cooked meal oh uh crawfish fetish uh crawfish uh etouffee with Fried fish, cornbread. Mm. Ooh. Man, you're making me hungry over here. All right, let's 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 go back to craziest overseas story, and and we're good. It doesn't have to be crazy. Just give us a really cool, fun, exciting, memorable, crazy something crazy. I don't know. We just like your. Yeah, you played for Galatasaray. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. The only thing I can think of is like the fights. Like they would, they had the uh, the hockey 
uh, benches for us. And I never understood why until we played Fenerbahce. That's the biggest rivalry in that country. When those two teams play, it's a fight. I don't care what's going on. If the police there, the ride, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fight. So I just remember my first game um, with the Fender rivalry. And as soon as we took the ball off, they threw like toilet paper, flare, screw, like chair, they whatever they could get their hands on, they just threw it on the court to delay the game. So then we cleaned all that off. And anytime Galatasaray went on a run, they would throw more stuff on the floor. <laughs> and we would just be out there. We would have to run to the bench and get under the uh, the hockey like bench cover to protect ourselves. And I was like, what is going on here? And so finally, like, I got hit by something in the game. I was taking the ball out on the side. I got hit by something in the game. And so I picked it up and I threw it back at the person that hit me with it. And I got an unsportsmanlike profile in the game. And it, the gym went like crazy. Like they almost like came out of the stands on me. Like, how dare you throw something at us? You know what I mean? I'm like, what you been hitting us with stuff the whole game? Yeah. That, I think uh, that, that experience, that rivalry was, yeah, that's crazy. Crazy is an understatement. Simone, thank you so much for your time, and thank you to the listeners for taking time with us. We hope you have a wonderful holiday season, and good luck headed into 2021. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Don't forget to hit subscribe on this podcast, and also to The Floor Game, presented by Windsider with Ben Dole and the Windsider Network. All these podcasts can be found on your favorite podcast app.